Hello, my name is Will and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the podcast where we celebrate helicopter explosions in film. After three X-Men movies made Hugh Jackman's Wolverine a star, Marvel Studios decided to tell a compelling and creative story solely about that character. Or perhaps, depending on your level of cynicism, they just simply wanted to financially milk his popularity. Whatever the genesis, the film that came howling into the world was X-Men Origins colon Wolverine. To help me look at the film, I'm joined by a man who never shaves his sideburns and loves any excuse to take his shirt off. He's the best at what he does, but his best isn't very nice. It's Bubba Wheat from Flights, Tights and Movie Nights and Channel Superhero. How you doing, Bubba? Doing pretty good. It's uh, good to be on here and talking about some uh, exploding helicopters. That's the kind of enthusiasm I like to hear <laughs> from a guest. Even if you're faking it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Now, you're a, something of a sort of specialist in uh, in superhero movies, so uh, I kind of, you've probably been asked this question somewhere before, but I thought I'd throw it to you. Like, uh, you know, if you had your own superhero power, what would it be? Actually, I don't get asked this question very often, but it's always been my go-to, um, like, since I was a kid, and there's not very many, well, I guess there's a couple, but my favorite is shape-shifting. Uh, I think Mystique was uh, always one of my favorite characters from the animated series, as well as Morph, even though he only got like two episodes. <laughs> uh, I guess Beast Boy would be uh, a similar one where he he like turns into an elephant and he has the proportional strength and mass of an elephant. I am unfamiliar with Beast Boy. so uh... Yeah, he's from the Teen Titans. It's a cartoon on Cartoon Network right now. Well, as will become apparent uh, throughout this podcast, I am something of a, uh, a superhero ignoramus. So you've, you've sailed happily past my <laughs> sorts of boundaries of my knowledge. After you, after you sort of get past Batman, Superman and people of that ilk, I, it all becomes fairly hazy. You know, so I'm, I'm kind of relying a lot on you to hold this show together because whilst I've watched nearly all of the X-Men movies, I kind of have no idea of who half the people are how these films fit together. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be leaning quite heavily on you today. Yeah, and, and I think the best way that I describe my knowledge of superhero movies is I have seen more superhero movies than you have probably ever heard of. <laughs> and that's just not an idle boast. That is uh, a guaranteed <laughs> fact. If you go and investigate Bob Wheat's uh, stuff on the Internet, you will find the uh, the truth behind that statement. But before we get stuck into uh, Origins, why don't you tell us about something interesting that you've seen lately? Well, actually, this this is one of those movies which I hadn't really heard of. It, it kind of flew under the radar whenever it came out. It's a 2009 movie, and it's not a great movie, but I just find the concept surrounding it fascinating. It's called Surrogates. It stars Bruce Willis, and it's based on a comic book. It's like a sci-fi movie where the entire world has... It's it's kind of, I kind of describe it almost like a reverse matrix, where this company has designed these robots, and you can basically live vicariously through these robots in like a, a VR kind of way. And so the robots can look however you want them to look. So pretty much... Everybody, they all look like young and beautiful and in good shape, while the, the actual person is just lying in a chair controlling them and kind of living throughout them. And I thought that that concept was great, but then they eventually just kind of turn it into this uh, boring action slash mystery, and they really muck it up towards the end. I think you pretty much 
accurately describe my experience of watching this film because as you say this film actually had you know a really great concept and i came to it it was just on tv i sort of came to it by accident and i was actually like how has this film flown under the radar because certainly in the first half it seemed like a really quite engaging interesting movie with some intelligent ideas within it but mm-hmm. as you say it then doesn't really follow through on those and it's kind of a shame because yeah it did have a lot of good aspects in it and uh, but it does finish on a really sort of damp note. Like you mentioned, I think the first half of this movie is excellent. And, and I love how they portray, how they show all the surrogates. Because like whenever you start the movie, everybody in there, it just looks off. They eventually get to the reveal that everyone's a robot. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. Because everyone has this, I, like, I almost think that they put like almost a CGI sheen on all of them. Uh, I think it's especially apparent with Bruce Willis's character because he looks ridiculous because it's like they CGI de-age him and then he's wearing this awful hair to make him look younger (laughs) and it just looks awful. But it fits perfectly with the concept of the movie. It does. And I I wonder if the fact that this film falls off a cliff in the second half is something to do with the director. Because if I remember rightly, it's a guy called Jonathan Mostow who directed U571. And did he direct Terminator 3 as well? I am not sure. I think he may have uh, directed Terminator 3 as well. So I I think that he's more into the action side of things rather than uh, somebody who's more interested in like the heady sci-fi stuff. Yeah, exactly. So uh, maybe the, the ultimate feel of the film is uh, down to uh, his uh, fingerprint syrups on it. But uh, I would still recommend people uh, checking it out. And yeah, he did do Terminator 3. He is guilty as charged. <laughs> okay, I think it's time to stick our steel claws into X-Men Origins colon Wolverine. So let's listen to the film's pitiful excuse for a trailer where a few fragments of dialogue are given far too much significance by an overly dramatic score. Well, well, well. Look what the cat dragged in. Don't worry, we'll stop it. You just spent half a billion dollars making him indestructible. You found the young mutant you've been looking for? Logan isn't the only piece of this puzzle. Hunt him down. We all got a choice, son. Mine got taken. That will never happen again. X-Men Origins Wolverine came out in 2009. It was the fourth film to be released in the series after the original X-Men trilogy. This one is a prequel and explores Wolverine's violent past, his relationship with his brother Victor, and tells of his recruitment into Team X, a kind of black ops unit made up of mutants. After becoming appalled by his brother's homicidal behaviour and questioning the murderous tactics of Team X, Wolverine leaves the group in order to lead a normal life. But the past catches up with him, and when Wolverine's wife is killed by Victor, his old Team X boss, Major Stryker, offers him the chance for revenge if he takes part in his secret Weapon X programme. Unfortunately, Stryker has his own dubious motives, so the film becomes a complicated web of deceit and double-cross whilst Wolverine tries to get his revenge. The film stars Hugh Jackman as Logan slash Wolverine, Lee Schreiber as his brother Victor, Danny Houston as Major Stryker, and there's also small roles for Taylor Kitsch, Will I Am, and Ryan Reynolds. 
X-Men Origins was directed by Gavin Hood, who made Ender's Game and Eye in the Sky. It was released to generally poor reviews, with critics finding fault with a muddled story, a dodgy special effects and badly shot action sequences. That didn't stop it being a box office success, and it was still the 15th biggest grossing film of the year. Bubba, how did you find uh, Origins? Well, I think this is one of those films where I know I liked it whenever I first saw it. I think that the public opinion has kind of worn on me over the years whenever I'd watched it previously. I, I know that my opinion of it went downhill quite a bit. And then watching it again this time, I'd say that I actually do really like, I'd say, the first 30 minutes or so of this film. And then things just really start going downhill after that, whenever they just kind of throw everything in a hand hand grenade at you. (laughs) They definitely throw the entire ordnance armory at you in in this movie. But what was it about the first 30 minutes that you liked and where did it start going wrong for you? Well, I think it does a good job of setting up the relationship between Wolverine and Victor. I enjoy their brother relationship. I think that the flashback war sequences were all shot pretty well. I think it gives like a very quick and truncated, just like it encapsulates their past and what they've gone through. And it even starts to show how they start breaking apart from each other, like whenever they get to the the Vietnam sequences. Uh, I love Ryan Reynolds uh, in the beginning, and it's it's mm. really is a shame. I, I'm glad that he got his second chance to play Deadpool, and then he gets his claws, and things just it just turns into like a mindless action movie. Just going back to the first 30 minutes of this movie, because I actually it's interesting that you say that you found that part the most enjoyable because I actually found that the most frustrating aspect of the film because to me they didn't actually set the relationship up between Victor and Logan in a way which would have given the rest of the film a bit more gravitas because you know a lot of that backstory between Victor and Logan is not much more than an extended montage so I came out of that section of the film having a lot of questions like why do they keep finding themselves in these war type scenarios what is it about their characters and personalities that draws them to that and I mean, it's not dwelt on terribly a lot but the very first scene in this film is in a bedroom where you have seven or eight year old Logan and Victor and there seems to be like a tension between them but that tension is never really explained and it could be that I am more familiar with the characters and, and even though I haven't read any of the comics that go along with it, I am familiar with the story that it comes from because I know that especially that beginning is set up is pulled quite heavily from like the first comic that actually showed the story behind Wolverine's origin as a young boy where he was this like sickly boy and they set it up kind of with a twist where there's like I think there's this rich boy and then there's this like sickly servant boy and you think that Wolverine is the more bullyish kid and then at the end they flip it around and it turns out that he's like the the sickly frail kid as somebody who's a bit more you know familiar with the x-men series do you feel and i think you've probably touched on it already but do you think people would be satisfied about how this film portrays where their favorite character came from and how he became who he is it's really tough to say because i i think that I think for the longest time, Hugh Jackson is going to be Wolverine. I'm sure at some point they're going to cast a new actor 
but I think it's going to be a long while before any other actor has the potential to be thought of as the definitive Wolverine over Hugh Jackman. I also don't believe that Logan is going to be his last appearance as Wolverine. I don't, I'm, I'm sure that he's not going to like headline a movie. But I'm certain that maybe five years down the line, he wouldn't turn down an offer to come back as another cameo, like some something along the lines of uh, his brief like five second scene in in uh, X Men First Class. I mean, he's talked about it himself. I think he said that you know recasting is inevitable at some point, and uh, mm-hmm. he's also sort of spoken about how it's harder and harder for him to get into the the shape that he needs to be, or people expect him to be in in order to uh, portray these characters. So uh, perhaps, as you say, a reduced role, one that doesn't require him to do spend so many hours in the gym, might be uh, the way for both uh, the you know for the way for the franchise to keep giving people the actor that people love. But um, Origins also introduces us to a bunch of new mutants who we hadn't seen in previous films. So we get to meet a character called John Wraith, who's played by uh, uh, Will I Am, a character called The Blob, also Gambit, and of course uh, Deadpool. Uh, what did you make of the sort of the new faces that we were introduced to here? I think that it's it's kind of a, a random mix of characters, and most it, it's like there's a couple favorites, and then a bunch of a bunch of characters that few people have ever, ever heard of. Like, <laughs> I know Blob, he was featured in the 90s cartoon uh, a little bit, like not too much. And then I, I had never heard of John Wraith or uh, Silver Fox or Dominique Monaghan's char- character, mm. the the one that can, tr- can control electronics uh, or Agent Zero at all. But I was familiar with like Deadpool, of course. and And I have to say that Pretty much just based on the 90s cartoon again, Gambit was one of my favorite characters, and I was excited to see him on screen in live action. And especially watching it this time, I was so disappointed. It's like, what the hell are they doing with Gambit? I mean, he's jumping off a the roof of a building and using his bow staff as a helicopter. <laughs> I have that doesn't lit- make any sense. I am not familiar with uh, this character at all, and I, judging solely on what we see in this film, I I don't really understand what his superpower is. It's basically centered around what he does with the cards, where he can like charge an object and make it explode. I might have to go back and and rewatch those scenes to see if they make a little bit more sense. But uh, yeah, but it, it doesn't really make any sense what he does with the staff. Like his powers <laughs> never allowed him to use this staff cut in half in order to climb a building. What <laughs> even was that? I, I was a bit underwhelmed by some of the other superpowers that were on display here. I mean, the blobs felt pretty underwhelming here. It also was never really clear with a lot of the characters what their powers were. Mm. It's like we get to see a little bit of it, but at the same time, it's it's just we're just kind of shown the after effects. We don't get on one hand, it's good because one of my least favorite characters in origin movies is the audience surrogate. And they do not have that character in this film which is a good thing, but in hindsight, it also means that since there is no audience surrogate, there's no, there's very little explanation for a lot of what's going on. 
And I think this is touching on the point that you were talking earlier about, you know, how this film just sort of throws everything and the hand grenade at the viewer here. And we're introduced to all of these characters. And I thought that, especially in the second half, that these characters actually clutter the film up a bit. A lot of them didn't really need to be there. And the kind of information that Wolverine gets about where this island is, that could have been obtained in a slightly different way or from just one character. We didn't need Gambit you know, thrown at us along with the blob. And, you know, they could have easily have not been in this film and it would have made no difference to the final product. It seems like they were throwing a lot of these characters in just strictly for fan service. It's like, oh, throw Gambit in. Fans fans love him. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It reeks of fan service. But uh, going back to Gambit, apparently Channing Tatum is going to be doing a big screen or live action version of Gambit. Uh, you said that you like the character. Are you excited, optimistic for that? I feel like I'm one of the few people who are looking forward to it and actually and I do hope that it eventually happens even though as the months go by it seems less and less likely that it's it's ever actually going to start filming because it's like they've they've pushed it back 6 months and then they lost a director and they lost a writer I think and right now it, it just seems like it's in development hell and uh, who knows if it's ever actually going to get made well, we saw how long it took uh, Ryan Reynolds to get his Deadpool movie made. But going back to Deadpool, what did you think? Um, you've already said you enjoyed what Ryan Reynolds was was doing with the uh, with the character here. I thought he was fun. He didn't get a ton of chance to really show off because he was like the first of Team X to basically get executed and he got killed off off screen as well, only to, to come back as pretty much as just a stunt double. Like, uh, I'm not even sure if any of those scenes with all the makeup was actually Ryan Reynolds. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was all just his stunt double. I was just going to say, because I read on the Internet, but I couldn't find... I tried to verify it, but I couldn't find anything to back it up. But uh, I had read that uh, Ryan Reynolds walked off this film because he was so sort of irritated by the portrayal of the character. I don't know if you have heard that. Well, I, I haven't heard it, but that would make sense. And that would also fall in line with the, the fact that I'm, mm. like I said, I'm pretty sure that it was just his stunt double that played Deadpool at the end or Weapon 11. Yeah, because it doesn't look good at all. It's not a cool transformation that, you know, it doesn't matter that there's a stunt double in there because you're sort of, you know, you're seeing some character. It's not like the kind of reveal in Predator where, you know, you think, oh my goodness, that's such an amazing creation. It just looks very poorly done. And as uh, as we're sort of perhaps alluding to the fact that the uh, main reason for the creative design of it was really just to obscure the fact that uh, the actor uh, was completely different and they didn't want to give the uh, the audience sort of a hint of that. Yeah, and, and on top of that, I thought the fight choreography in that entire scene was just awful. I mean, the, the entire build-up where he basically doesn't go all out on them from the beginning because of reasons. I mean, it's like, it's just this slow progression where they introduce more of his powers, where it, it makes sense to a certain extent from a filmmaking standpoint, because it's the escalation of the fight scene, but it doesn't make sense from a character standpoint, because they are trying to kill Wolverine, so he should be unleashing his full assault from the very beginning. 
I'm going to defend the fight scenes in this film, you know, having rewatched X-Men recently and obviously watching this film, I thought that the fight scenes in this film, some of them were actually sort of much better handled than that film. But I thought X-Men, there, there was a sort of a, sort of a slightly, they, were like, they seemed like a couple of beats too slow. And a lot of the, the jumping scenes, it was very clear that you couldn't see the wires, but it was very clear that the actor was attached to the wire and they're just sort of waiting to be released from the wire and then pick up the action it didn't really feel sort of very fluid and I thought that uh, some of the action sequences in this film felt a bit more dynamic and a little bit more natural than the, the ones in that original X-Men movie yeah and, and don't get me started on how he basically catches the Cyclops beam with his claws and <laughs> and instead of just moving the beam away from the claws he just continues to stare at his claws with him just not moving i mean it's it's eye beams it's not like it's this laser mounted turret where it's very difficult to move it more than just like slowly it's his eyes he can just look up a little bit and then he's firing directly at wolverine's head Fortunately, I tend to not get too hung up on these types of details <laughs> in these types of films. But the thing that I did find uh, rather problematic was uh, was some of the CGI. And mm. there's a shot at the end of the film of Patrick Stewart. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, was it even Patrick Stewart? I mean, what was that at the end of the film? <laughs> yeah, that's that like goes back to the what I was talking about with surrogates and and this actually came out the same year as that film too so I I just thought that was awful you know this wasn't a cheap film I can't believe they shot that looked at it and thought yep that's fine that'll work I don't know why they couldn't have just used Patrick Stewart as he looked contemporaneously I know this is a film that's supposed to have taken place sort of years before the the sort of the other films that he's appeared in but you know he's a he's a he's a man who's aged quite well I think you know they could have just shown him as he was and it would have been fine yeah, just give him like a, a little bit of makeup and, and he would have been fine. One of the other problems I had with the CGI was in some of the big action sequences, there seemed to be a rather sort of awkward combination of live action stuff and then shots that were filmed against a green screen. And the matching between those shots, again, it just took me out of the film. So mm. there's a big sequence where Hugh Jackman is roaring around on a motorcycle and he's being pursued by these sort of two heavily armed military vehicles. And clearly some shots are, you know, a stuntman on a motorbike and then the close-up shots are Hugh Jackman on a motorbike with a background green screened in but they just don't match very well and even you know I know technology advances all the time but even for 2009 that just felt a poorly done sequence yeah I, I feel I'm not sure if this is correct but I feel like this is another one of those movies kind of like uh, X-Men 3 that was on a rushed production schedule that kind of makes sense because they spent something like 150 million quid on this movie. Yeah, and, and I also think that one of the other big complaints is how bad the claws themselves look in many of the scenes, especially compared to like the, the earlier trilogy. What's, uh, you know, what's your beef on the claws or what's the beef of uh, some of the fans out there on the claws and their appearance? Well, they just look too fake. They look just complete CGI creations, and they're just way too... I think in a lot of scenes, they're bigger than they should be, and they're like the wrong color. There's not any... They're very 
flat. There's no like reflectiveness, like even at like a dull reflectiveness to them. And they just seem like incredibly cheap and rushed CGI compared to like maybe the mix of like some practical and CGI enhanced versions that they used in the previous movies. We also get to see Hugh Jackman's or Wolverine's bone claws in this movie. And what did you think of those? I don't know. I I think they looked fine. I, I never really understood the reason behind I think especially the reason behind, like, the knuckling in the bones. Like, in in a comic book, I guess it it just gives it a bit more interest, but it doesn't make sense if you – and I've never really actually thought about this until literally just now, but it would make more sense to me for them to actually look more claw-like and actually be smooth. Uh, Mm. Something that the adamantium would go over in – in a similar smooth way and to, to make blades instead of to have these like really bumpy, like it, it looks like finger bones. I, I don't know. I also never like, I think this goes back to something that I, that was my theory as a kid on how Wolverine's claws worked. And I kind of like this theory, even though it's completely different from the movies and even the cartoon and everything. But whenever I saw like Wolverine in the cartoons, I always thought that the claws were completely like manufactured. Like they, they weren't a part of him at all. And in order for him to get the claws to come out, he would always like sweep his arms. And I always thought that that was like the, the centrifugal force. Like he had to swing his arms in order to make the claws come out instead of having these muscles that mm. make the claws come out. How consistent is the portrayal of Wolverine in this film to the one that we've seen in the three previous films and then his appearances in the in subsequent movies? Well, I, I think that the character of Wolverine pretty much boils down to him just guttural screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think when taken on that metric, he's pretty consistent <laughs> through all the movies. And uh, is there, are there inconsistencies in the way the character is portrayed, though, beyond the screaming? Uh, the, the biggest thing that I always have and that his healing factor tends to be story driven, uh, because uh, especially in the first movie, he like he gets in a car accident and he's like out for the better part of a day. But then in especially in the third movie, we have Phoenix like literally trying to telekinesis the skin off his bones and he's immediately heal like he's healing faster than she can telekinesis him apart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna take a short break so you can hear about details of another podcast that you'd be far better off listening to. But if you're still with us when we come back, we'll be talking about the exploding helicopter action. On the Simplistic Reviews podcast, we talk movies. We talk TV. We talk. Hello, Julie, what the heck are you doing? Trying to make our spots sound more exciting by adding explosions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have got the point across with sound effects, not the real thing. Download the show on iTunes or at simplisticreviews.blogspot.com. I'm sure your insurance company will cover that. No, they won't. No, they probably won't. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. 
After being fused with the adamantium, Wolverine escapes from Stryker's clutches but is pursued by a team of his henchmen. The metallic clawed mutant flees on a motorbike and successfully destroys several of the pursuing vehicles. Unfortunately, a heavily armed helicopter is proving more difficult. Wolfie ends up atop a heavily armed vehicle just as it's about to be blown up. He launches himself into the air and uses his claws to cut off the chopper's rotors. The wounded whirlybird crashes to the ground whereupon the sideburn sporting superhero sets the leaking fuel alight, causing a huge explosion. Bubba, did you enjoy the exploding helicopter action here? Yes and no, and I don't know if you watched this uh, as well, but there there's also like a, a five-minute exploration of specifically the uh, exploding helicopter scene, uh, which I, I did watch in preparation for this. And You're putting me to shame. I, ha- I haven't watched <laughs> this. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling dreadfully embarrassed. Where do I find this? <laughs> Um, well, it, it's on the Blu-ray. Uh, maybe it's not on the DVD because uh, I, I did um, borrow the Blu-ray from my library, even though I had previously owned it. But uh, apparently maybe a, a year or so back, the last time I kind of reduced my DVD collection, that was one of the ones that I was like, uh, I'm probably never going to watch this again, so I might as well sell it. How wrong you were. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, what did you what did you like and what did you not like? I liked how it is like a good mix of practical and CGI effects. But the biggest problem I have is, and, and I think we touched upon this earlier, it's not composited together very well. As you say, the compositing between the two different types of film styles here, the CGI and the and the sort of the live action stuff doesn't go together sort of terribly well. And it's it's, it's sort of everything from the sort of the backgrounds looking a bit odd or the characters or the sort of the actors looking odd against those sort of backdrops. And some of the movement of the vehicle, some of the, the movement of the helicopter doesn't look wholly natural in uh, in that scene. And again, it just sort of pulls you out of the moment. But, you know, you do get to see Wolverine versus a helicopter and you know you kind of think how is he going to sort of take it down and the, the sort of the sequence starts with him atop this vehicle and he's it looks like he's about to sort of use a, a mounted machine gun to blow it out of the sky but these rockets come racing towards the vehicle so he realizes there's no time for that so he obviously just has to throw himself at, at the helicopter and there is a moment there you kind of think okay what is going to happen next and uh, i thought having him shear off the rotor blades with his claws was a pretty cool solution to the uh whirlybird problem that he was finding at that particular moment yeah i think it works well even though it does also have another one of those typical like physics problems that that i tend to have (laughs) where not only like i can get that his claws are unbreakable but i don't quite go with the fact that they're not only unbreakable but they're also like apparently sharp there's no resistance is there at all so right. he can come into contact with anything and it's never it's never hard or difficult for him to sort of slice through something like his claws every single time just cut through anything like a hot knife through butter <laughs> But uh, one thing I did enjoy about this sequence was it's actually sort of drawn out a little bit. And so, mm. you know, he doesn't just sort of blow up the helicopter and, and the whole thing moves on. We see him yeah. sort of fatally wound it. You know, it crashes and then. Yeah. And, and I think the crash itself is very well done because they, they did do that practically with an actual uh, helicopter shell that they they had on a wire and they let it go. So it slid down and then ah. it started, it rolled. And that was all done with an actual helicopter. And, and I thought that looked great. Uh, and then they like put the, 
they composited the the stuff over the top of it. But I I think whenever it gets to the explosion, especially, and this is one of those things where it happens every time, especially now. It's like that Lonely Island song pops into my head. Cool guys don't look at explosions. <laughs> Yeah, there is a it's a stock cliche now is that the sort of the hero shot of whoever the character is illuminated against a sort of massive fireball. It's become a little bit of a trope too much now and it's almost I feel it's lost its potency I can think of examples of films that I sort of grew up on there's a very good one in the film Blue Thunder from the early 80s where Roy Scheider walks away from uh, Blue Thunder as it's being blown up and it's you know he's illuminated by this huge explosion behind him and that was a really cool moment in the film but we've seen it so many times now I think it's losing some of its power but the problem is there's no there's no personality to the explosion because they didn't film it in a very good way because the fireball is so large that all you see is fire. <laughs> you don't get to see any of the actual helicopter. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if they did actually have that giant fireball with the helicopter, but the fire just completely eclipses the actual helicopter. Like, we don't get to see mm. any bits of helicopter flying or anything. Like, all all you see is just the orange flames, and that loses its impact a lot. I did also have to wonder about sort of just how much gasoline there was on board that <laughs> helicopter from the, from the size of from the size of the explosion. But I'm you know I'm not going to sort of quibble too much about that. People want to uh, make uh, ridiculously huge fireballs. That's generally fine by me. But yeah, I think you're you're right. It has no personality and very quickly becomes you know the the helicopter very quickly becomes completely invisible amass all this swirling flame and smoke. So yeah, you're sort of like who knows what's been exploded there mm -hmm. let's just wrap this up then by sort of asking you about the upcoming logan movie are you optimistic for that or pessimistic because i watched the trailer and i i thought the trailer looked really interesting and i'd be quite keen to see that movie yeah, I'm really excited about the the Logan movie. I, I think that uh, James Mangold, he did relatively well with the Wolverine. I, I feel like, and this is always kind of speculation, I, I feel like he had a good mix of getting what he wanted to get in along with stuff that the studio had to put him in. And, and I feel like that it falls like right in the middle of the the X-Men series as a whole, where I, I think it's not as good as some of the best X-Men movies, but it's not nearly as bad as the worst ones. I, I thought it was pretty good. And, and I feel like with this one, it, it feels like he's being given a lot more freedom. And I think that if he's able to tell the story that he wants to tell, I think it'll it'll be really good. We will have to go back and uh, we'll have to find out about that in the future. You know, do you want to talk about your own podcasting and website activities? My main site is and, and always has been, or at least for the past five years or so, is flightstightsmovienights.com, where I'm keeping up with all the new release superhero movies and also going back and catching all of the obscure ones. And I also have channelsuperhero.com. It has a lot of uh, old episode-by-episode -episode reviews of uh, superhero and comic book shows. Uh, we've kind of fallen off on the new release stuff, but we still have coverage of the, the Netflix shows, the Netflix Marvel shows, as well as the uh, The Walking Dead. And I also have my podcast, FilmWise, uh, where every other week 
I have a guest introduce me to a film that I've never seen before, which is typically like a classic or a modern classic or cult classic. And in return, I have them watch a superhero comic book movie that they've never seen before. And then the last thing I have, which is uh, a new project of mine, is uh, another podcast called Sketched Out on TV. And we take a look at a sketch comedy TV show, and specifically we look at one sketch from that show in detail. Uh, the first episode, we looked at Saturday Night Live, and we looked at a sketch from 2000 with The Rock uh, playing Clark Kent. I do not know where you find the time to do all that stuff. <laughs> But uh, if you are listening and have some spare time, don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website where you can find a whole bunch of vaguely amusing reviews of a whole host of films. We'll be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Seems like these days the whole world's on fire. Things keep blowing the hell up. And while all those rubberneckers and looky-loos stand slack-jawed staring, the real men have the nuts to walk away. Yeah. Guys don't look at explosions, they blow things up and then walk away. Who's got time to watch an explosion? It's cool guy errands that they have to walk to. Keep walking, keep shining, don't look back, keep on walking. Keep strutting, slow motion, don't 